the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. It's a privilege and honor to also welcome back to our show maybe the hardest working man in uh, in in radio <laughs> itself. That is the author and radio host Eric Metaxas, who has a brand spanking new book out. Is atheism dead? And I love this book just from the title alone. But it doesn't have one of these long subtitles. Doesn't need it. Is Atheism Dead? Eric Metaxas, welcome back. I was going to say to the Airwaves of Phoenix, but you've been doing the Charlie Kirk Show. You have your own show here on our sister station. <laughs> so welcome to my Airwaves in Phoenix again, oh, Eric. Well, listen, it's, it's an honor to be with you. Is my sound okay? I want to make sure you can hear me. Yeah, I think we're good. I think we're good, yes. I, I uh, oh, listen, I'm just uh, grateful for the opportunity. I'm excited about this book. You know, I've never, literally never been as excited about a book. I've written a bunch of books. But there's something about this. I, I just feel like God led me to this subject, and I am just dying to get the information into the hands of as many people as possible. Well, good for you in doing it, and I know that feeling when you put out a piece of work that just feels completely in sync with everything you think, know, and believe. I, I, I know I know that feeling. It's a rare one, and congrats on this book, Eric Metaxas. The book is is atheism dead? I'll tell you the first thing I had to notice, and I'll, I'd like to run it by you on this book. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. have an epigraph. Uh, short, I, I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately, but f- in the beginning of your book, you have an epigraph from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And I was just thinking about so many ex-communists or people who lived through and disclosed and ultimately left the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Think of someone like Solzhenitsyn or or Whitaker Chambers or the authors in the the God that failed, all of them ultimately became Christians and said the problem in the Soviet Union was the view that religion right, is the right. opiate of the masses. Yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, it's it's part of why I think I wrote the book for now because we're seeing a dramatic resurgence. Uh, in socialism, in big state ideology, in Marxist ideology, BLM, Antifa. Where is this coming from? What is this? It goes hand in hand with a secular worldview. And a secular worldview is putting it mildly because Marxism is anti God. Mm-hmm. Marxism sees God as the enemy of big state power. And so it's very interesting to me that just as things are getting dramatically dark, we're living in a time where madness has been unfurled across the country. You can hardly imagine how absurd uh, the things are that, you know, they're telling us that, you know, a man can snap his fingers and become a woman or, uh, you know, we should, uh, you, you know, the whole story. And the thing is, I really think that the evidence in this book is God's dramatic way of saying to us uh, at a time when we need hope, that the evidence for him is astonishing. And, and it's pretty new evidence, and that's why I'm, I'm so excited, because I think a lot of people weren't even aware that science could point to God. They just assumed that science and God are enemies. Not only is that not true, 
But the new evidence from science, and again, I'm not blowing smoke. I mean, when you read the book, you can see clearly that in the last 50 years, we have had science showing us things about the universe in which we live that make it impossible to believe that it happened randomly. There's just no way. So for years, people have been saying, oh, it just happened. There is no way that what we currently have could have happened randomly based on the science we now have. 30 years ago, 50 years ago, you could think that. Um, I think it's really God's mercy to us at a time when we're all wondering, is the world falling apart? And I guess I want to say, too, that the title, you probably know this, but the title takes its lead from in 1966, there was a famous Time magazine cover story that said, Is God Dead? Right. And everybody was kind of acting like, yes, yeah, science has pushed God out of the picture, and right. sophisticated people are, you know, maybe we're interested in Christian ethics, but we're not interested in miracles and in the Bible and all that stuff. Well, the irony is that since that time, the evidence has been quietly piling up. And I say quietly because people bought into this narrative, so they didn't even report on this evidence. So nobody, hardly anybody knows about this stuff. But over the years, I've been reading books on science and faith, and at some point I said, this is getting crazy. The evidence has piled up so much that people don't really know it. And there were two things, really, that led me to write this book, two pieces of evidence. One was meeting a guy in Houston named James Tour, probably the top nanoscientist on the planet, mm-hmm. the smartest you know, organic chemist there is. And he is a believer, is a Christian, and he says there is zero chance that life emerged out of non-life four billion years ago. In other words, if you ask a science, hey, how did life start on Earth? Forget about evolution, forget about... How did it begin four billion years ago? We have these single-celled, you know, organism. It's the first life. How did that happen? Well, the answer, he says, is that no one knows. They know that they don't know, and nobody is willing to admit it. Who's going to raise their hand and say, we've been working on this problem... (laughs) <laughs> we were pretty confident in 1952 that we had it, and, and it was just a matter of time. And the more time has passed in seven decades since this famous Miller-Urey experiment, the more time has passed, the more we know that we know nothing. We have no idea how life came into being. Now imagine, what could be a more basic question for science right. than how did life emerge from non-life? We're yeah. not talking evolution, how does life go from this kind of life to this kind of life. No, we're talking about how do you go from non-life from stones and water and nothing to life. And he he made that case with me, and I thought, nobody has talked about this. We need to talk about this. So I said, I'm going to write a couple of chapters on that. And then I met a guy in Albuquerque who has discovered biblical Sodom. He's an archaeologist. And when I learned that story, I said, this is just like the James Tour stuff. I said, this is blockbuster evidence. You mean to tell me that we've discovered the place you know, how do we know? What are the details? Once I dug into it, I said, I, 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 you know, I get speechless. I said, everybody needs to know. This is gigantic evidence that the Bible is historical, that this, and this should be on the cover of every newspaper. But nobody covered it. And I said, the more I look into it, the more I think there's no doubt. I'm not just, like, believing something crazy. This is real. So I said, I'm going to write a book where I'm going to put in the new scientific evidence, what I mentioned, plus all kinds of other stuff that I haven't mentioned yet, and then I'm going to put in this biblical Sodom stuff, and then all this other stuff from biblical archaeology, 
just to let people know that the evidence has been piling up like crazy while we're sleeping, so to speak, you know? Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the book, I talk about atheism itself and about the lives of certain atheists. And I discovered that two of the most prominent atheists of the 20th century, Albert Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre, both came to faith at the end of their lives. Mm. This is more blockbuster news. You think, that can't be. There's no way. No These one teaches were, that. Yep. The, yeah, no one they, teaches they, that. They were the right. face of atheism in the 20th century. Right. Everybody read their books. Yep. How come we never heard this? And part of the reason we never heard it is because we bought into this narrative, and the secular culture kind of promoted the narrative. And I thought, listen, if I can do my part in getting the word out on some of this information, it's going to change people's lives. This is astonishing, you know, open and shut evidence. It's not like, hey, let me tell you my opinion. This is, this is real evidence, real facts, real footnotes, real bibliography, and I am excited to get it out there. Now, of course, there are many people in the world of science or in the world of archaeology, they already know this, but your average reader simply is not aware. I said it's time the narrative shifted, and we understood that the question is not, is God dead? The question is, is atheism dead? And once you read this, you'll see that things have shifted very dramatically. I love, I love your enthusiasm, Eric, and I love the joy with which you do your work. I was just thinking a little bit historically as you were writing this and as you were talking. About 10 years after Time said that, Newsweek comes out with the year of the evangelical, right? About, about yeah. a 10 year span. And it yeah. seems to me that was a lot about what people like Francis Schaeffer were doing and later your old buddy Chuck Colson were doing. They were yeah. they were working on this really as a very important aspect of evangelism, weren't they? Kind of trying to make science, not make, but show where science and theology or religion <clears throat> uh, converged and were not enemies, right? right. You have taken this to yeah. the next level. Is that a fair assumption? I Well, listen, I'd be honored uh, to, to follow in their footsteps. I think the problem is always the culture. In other words, even folks like Chuck Colson and, and um, Francis Schaeffer to some extent, we're speaking mostly to the Church. And okay. I think what we need okay. to do okay. is to take it to the next level, make the case, and say, listen, folks, I don't care if you're a Christian, an agnostic, or whatever, it makes no difference. Look at the facts. What does science say? If you don't become a Christian, that's on you. But don't tell me you can be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. That's no longer possible. You want to be an agnostic? I will accept that. But atheism has become preposterous, and we need to be honest about it. You may not convert to Christianity, but let's be honest in the way that Camus and Sartre and Sir Anthony Flew, who wrote the textbook on atheism, I mean, these people were so eager to, to find the truth that they actually found the truth. And there are a lot of people, like I, I criticized the new atheists at the end of the book because I thought they, they were so unserious that it's embarrassing. I mean, they... they they take cheap pot shots, and they just, you know, like to get a crowd going. But when you really look at what they said, they said nothing, or they said things that are patently ridiculous. And I thought, this is really not fair. They, 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 were really, they really did a disservice uh, to reason and to logic. They, they talked a good game about being pro-reason and anti-faith, but they themselves were not practicing logic or reason. And I find that, you know, it's not just ironic, it's hypocritical and shameful. Let me ask you this, Eric, and I don't know if you've been asked this uh, on this book tour. 
We're talking to Eric Metaxas. His new book is Atheism Dead. You made mention of, you know, a cultural issue that we're all kind of just catching up on, which is the issue of assignment of gender, if you will. Um, uh, people who decide that, you know, the gender or sex they want to identify with is not the one they were born with. And it seems to me for those that are worried about the thesis that you're writing, Eric Metaxas, they're worried about the radical or the uh, extremist Eric Metaxases of the world. I yeah. think it's worth pointing yeah. out that the most you will do is interviews like this and write a book. That that's that's your that's your arsenal, buddy. <laughs> that's right, that's right. your reach. What they're doing to push back against us is changing everything before we even know it. They're the ones on the attack and on the offensive and being offensive. Oh, I, I just think that's worth pointing out for people to say, Metaxas, listening to him talk like that? Okay, but oh, yeah. when's the last time you had to fill out a form that said, what is your gender based on, you know, not birth? No, th well, this is what I'm saying. The madness that has been unleashed. Listen, here's the other thing. Your average American, you don't need to be a conservative or a Christian. Your average American who's raising kids and working hard and stuff, I mean, they know that the world's gone crazy. They know that, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bruce Jenner uh, is something is, is off. Mm -hmm. And he, I'm not saying this to be funny. No, no, it's something is off. See, it's a natural inclination to say something's not they, right there. Yeah, yeah. They, they see these people and they don't want to make it. So when you try to shove it down their throat, they say, no, no, no. You're the one that's crazy. Mm -hmm. He is just realizing that he's now a woman, and you need to accept it. Very few Americans can accept it. And when they're told to accept it in a forceful way, there's a part of them that says, wait a second, why are you telling me what I need to think? Why are you being so forceful? That's really not America. In America, we're free to think about stuff, and now you've got to use labels. You've got to call me a bigot or whatever. That's like, that tells me, you're hiding something. Yeah. And it's not just that. It's whether I want to talk about the vaccine or vaccine passports or election fraud. In America, we don't have to agree with each other. But when you start telling me to shut up, I start getting suspicious. And so I'm, I'm thinking that we need to look at the evidence for God and the Bible. And I think your average person, when they look at it, most of them are going to say, oh, my goodness, why haven't I heard this before? And my answer to them is because you live in a culture where the secular narrative is so strong oh, yeah. that even when evidence like this shows up, they kind of bat it away yep. that it doesn't fit the narrative. And I thought there's so much of this evidence that it's about time somebody put it in a book. And I really think some people are going to be astonished. Some people are going to be furiously angry because it, it doesn't comport with whatever. Yeah, no, you, you gave them a response. That's why they're going to be angry. You gave them a response. Yeah. Eric yeah. Metaxas. No, it's really, it's dramatic stuff. And, and I'm going to be speaking tonight at the Dream City Church here in, in, uh, in Phoenix. Oh, I wonderful. guess it's Phoenix, right? Yes, 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 yes. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Uh, Eric, I could keep you all day and all night. You're the best. I, this is wonderful. I know how busy you are, especially the day of your launch. But congratulations. Is Atheism Dead well, by Eric Metaxas? And welcome yeah, to you're Phoenix. very kind. Please, please uh, folks, go to my website, uh, ericmetaxas.com. And if you follow the link, there's some very cheap ways to get the book for like 45% off. <laughs> Take advantage. It's only for the week. It's really a good price. Eric, you're just the best. Thanks for stopping by. Congrats. God bless and we'll you. talk again Thank soon. You. Bless you, Thank sir. You, you bye betcha. Bye. I'm Seth Liebson, 602 We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That's uh, Paul Simon and, gosh, some great bass on there. And I believe the trumpeter is Randy Brecker, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, look who's here. Rick in Phoenix. Welcome, Rick. How are you? Well, I'm doing well, Seth. Thank you for taking my call. It's great to talk to you, as always. And you as well. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your very important educational monologue and discussion today. Um, uh, As you often say, that we need to remember, there are things we've forgotten that we need to remember, and I think that was a lot of it. All all learning, all learning is the unlocking of things we used to know, Plato taught us. Right, right, and that that is a very important principle. Um, I've got something I wanted to talk to you about, maybe to get some help from you and from your highly intelligent audience, but before I do that, I wanted to make a comment about uh, the passing of Colin Powell. Okay. You know, there is an old saying that only the good die young. Right. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> guessing that he must have been really, really old. Well, I um, I, I, I knew him just a little. And, Did that go you know, over your head? No, I'm just, I, I, I'm just, I didn't come here to bury him, but I, I did want to say, as a, as an individual human being, you know, mm-hmm. there's so, there's an old line, there's so much good in the, in the worst of us and so much bad in the best yes, of us. You know that that's one. That's true. I, I as do. an individual, he and his wife Alma did tremendously good work in the D.C. schools that people will never know about because they didn't really talk about or brag about it. In the D.C. schools having to train young children into uh, growing up to be, you know, responsible human beings. They did a lot of work in the abstinence education uh, effort yeah. back then. But, yeah. but, but any time he spoke about conservative principles of the Republican Party, he was just wrong. He just was wrong. And when the media pick up that wrong and continue to broadcast it, they they are wrong, too. Which they always do. Yeah, which they always do. They will inevitably do that. Yeah, and it is always a marvel. It should no longer be a marvel, but it's always a marvel. Yeah, yeah. To see what they say about him when he's alive and what uh-huh. they say about him once he's no longer here. And right. I'm old enough to remember when he was Secretary of State what they said about him. And believe yeah. me, it's not what they he wanted them to be saying about him. Right, right. Yeah. Well, he kind of turned the corner. But the, the, the thing that I really wanted to do was get your help uh, from you or, or from your audience. I'm watching – Fox 10 News, Sunday night, the 10 o'clock news. Local affiliate, yep. Mm-hmm. Local affiliate. And they come to their uh, segment on uh, what are we going to do with COVID and Thanksgiving. Oh, good. And guess who was the featured expert? Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't know how to Anthony beat. Fauci. Oh, good gracious. The man that has been wrong more then you can shake a stick at More than you and I have been. Uh, let me do this, Rick. i got to take a quick commercial, but let's pick up on this when we come back. Is that oh, okay? No. Yes. Yes, sir. If, if you got the time, I got the air. 602 if anyone wants to join any of this. But we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 Our buddy Rick is calling in and talking about um, 
hearing on uh, on the local Fox affiliate channel 10 from the guest Anthony Fauci Sunday night on how to handle COVID in Thanksgiving. Go ahead, Rick. Tell me more. <laughs> well, the thing that just floored me, first of all, uh, when when <laughs> when they're talking about you know what we need to do and all of that, uh, so much of it was just the same old foolishness. Uh, anyway, you know, uh, that you got to wear a mask, uh, you know, don't have people over that you don't know, ask them if they've been tested, ask them if they've been vaccinated, blah, 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 and, and all of this stuff. And then they and then they put Anthony Fauci on there. And I'm like, I, I was just screaming at yeah. the TV, TV, you know, listen to Seth Leeson. He's <laughs> well, documented at least well. 20 times when this guy has been totally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I'm just... Uh, do do you or maybe someone in your audience's audience knows how how can we convey to Fox Ten this guy is not an expert? Please quit holding him up as someone that we need to listen to about this stuff. I, I it's just. It just floors me. My my jaw just dropped. I I don't blame you, and I understand uh, your point, um, uh, Rick. And and here's here's what I think happens with a lot of local affiliates. Here's what I think happens with a lot of local affiliates. Uh-huh. Um, they are offered someone big named from the administration. They're offered a big name from the administration because the administration is trying to pump out as much, you know, publicity as it can get. Right. And right. sometimes on a Sunday, let's take a Sunday night, you know where I'm going with this. The news might be slow and of yeah. course it's a good quote unquote good get to say you interviewed or had some, you know, Anthony Fauci or some other leader from the administration. On. Right. But where in comes the responsibility then? As a news network for continually rebroadcasting and further broadcasting someone whose credibility really should be shot through at this point with so many holes that Swiss cheese would be envious. I I mean, honest to gosh, the idea that you go to him, the idea that you go to him for anything fact and and his problem is. The problem with Anthony Fauci is really the arrogance. It's yeah. it's not that he's been wrong because I think Americans, when we were dealing with the novel virus, I think, and I certainly would have appreciated, if he would have made his statements, all of these statements he ended up being wrong about, if he would have said when he made them, this is our best thinking as of now and it very well may, may very well change, that was right. never, that was never the takeaway that was ne- in fact the takeaway was when you could the most arrogant of statements when you criticize me you're criticizing science i am the state i am science it? why that would was... you, anyone listen to someone who had that level of arrogance unbelievable <laughs> i just i see his visage on on uh, television or whatever and i just think what a smug mug yeah you know yeah. Uh, the guy is just so of himself, but you know the problem, and 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 the problem is he's really good. I mean, he's yeah. the he's got what people have said is a great public bedside manner. He he yeah. does. Yeah. You know, he comes off old word avuncular. He comes off, huh. you know, as someone you want to like. 
yeah. But what comes out of that mouth when boiled down and what yeah. he's been responsible for when boiled down has been more and more totalitarianism, yes. as well yeah. as more and more errancy. It's really, really very disturbing, very disturbing. Absolutely it is. I watched, I watched uh, Fiddler on the Roof over the weekend. Uh-huh. And uh, they were talking about the different uh, uh, people in the town uh, of Anatavia uh, and what their roles were. Yeah. And they came to the rabbi. Oh, and okay. someone asked the <laughs> rabbi, yeah. they said, is there a blessing for the czar? Uh-huh. And the rabbi said, yes, there is a blessing for the czar. <laughs> yeah. May the Lord bless him and keep him Far, far away from us. <laughs> so there's a blessing for Anthony Fauci. Right. That's I what I was like thinking. it. Czar Fauci, if you're going to take on a title of czar, the coronavirus czar, supposedly, if you're going to take on the title of czar, you will get the prayers that uh, we have for czars. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Keep far, far away from us. I like that. I like Bay. that. The only other part, I, well, there's a lot in that in that play move slash oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'd love to sit down and discuss. Oh yeah, well we can do very it. interesting. Yeah, no, there's uh, a lot there. Yeah, that there's themes, a lot there. Yeah. And remember well, where the progressive kid wants to go. Right, Germany. I know Germany. That, that's one yeah. of the things yeah. that is just heart wrenching. Uh, there's so many things in there. My I got to run. I got to run. I got to take the break. Okay. All right. We'll thanks, be right Seth. back. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. I meant to do this yesterday, and I want to get to, uh, I want to, get to the, uh, the illegal immigrants being flown around the country in the dark of night in a moment. But just tacking off of uh, Rick's call, the latest Fauci errancy, um, has to do with, um, with football, college, college football particularly. This, surprisingly, was on an NBC uh, affiliate and uh, I think worth playing. This, uh, I think, was broadcast over, uh, over, the we- uh, over the weekend, if not yesterday morning. Go ahead, Bill. This morning, as college football fans get ready for the big games happening yeah. later today, we're going in-depth on an issue that had been a big concern at the beginning of this football season. Yeah, you had some folks worried that those huge crowds packing stadiums could turn into COVID super spreader events. But now there's some new evidence that that's not something to stress so much about. NBC's Shaquille Brewster has more. This morning, college football fans are getting ready once again to pack stadiums nationwide. For weeks, crowds in the tens of thousands, mostly unmasked, have sat side by side, now cheering on their teams at the halfway point of the season. They're bringing more energy than before. People are more pumped up. Yes, sir. All while doctors warned of game coming potential super spread events. A frightening prospect with hospitals at the time already on the brink. As soon as I saw it, I thought COVID's about to have a feast. What did you think? That's true. I thought Reed. the same thing. I think it's really unfortunate. But it never happened. Yeah. COVID cases, hospitalizations, COVID's gonna have a feast. Death. That's enough of that. COVID's gonna have a f- thank you, Bill. COVID's gonna have a feast. I saw I thought the same thing, Anthony Fauci says. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Just didn't happen, isn't happening now. Um, t- they used to make fun <laughs> of conservatives for acting like 
old-fashioned Puritans who would see someone having fun and wanting to arrest them. Is that really the conservative thing? Is it? Or is it the progressive totalitarian thing? Yeah, more that, more that. All right, let me uh, let me let me shift to this other story. You can see this is this is really a big problem. Rick Rick is putting his finger on a part of it. It's a really a very big problem. You can spend you can spend your whole day, your whole week, your whole month, your whole year, your whole life being the average American who basically is doing their best to get through in hard times, or sometimes this takes place in easy times, but whether it's raising kids, you name it, just we've all had a lot of a lot of challenges in our lives and anxiety. It's you get through life, but you want to be kept abreast of the goings on. So you can spend your whole life just getting news from the standard places. Uh, you like CBS, you like NBC, you like ABC, you like PBS, you like driving to work listening to, you know, NPR or perhaps your other local talk station um, or news station. Maybe you get the Arizona Republic. Maybe you read it online. You can you can spend your whole day like that. Assume you're informed. Think you're regularly or generally informed and be totally uninformed. Totally uninformed. And if you think it's not part of the strategy and tactic, think again. Think again. Journalists do not take you where the truth leads anymore. You know, for all the, all the, uh, all the poetry of Woodward and Bernstein, you know, we just, we just, you know, we just use our shoe leather and take us, take us where the truth will lead. That that pretty much ended at around the time of Woodward and Bernstein, and it has been on a fast acceleration ever since. So you can live your entire life of regular news as most Americans get it today and not know that, as I read from the New York Post, which I'm allowed to do as ASU students are not, plane loads of underage migrants are being flown secretly into suburban New York in an effort by President Biden's administration to quietly resettle them across the region. The charter flights originate in Texas, where the ongoing border crisis has overwhelmed local immigration officials and have been underway since at least August. Last week, the Post saw two planes land at Westchester County Airport, where most of the passengers who got off appeared to be children in their teens and men in their 20s. The flights arrived at 10.49 p.m. and 9.52 p.m. They got off and piled into buses. How do you know it's true? How do you know it's true? Well, thank goodness there is one journalist who does his homework and his research. Thank goodness. And it's Mr. Ducey over at Fox News Channel. And he asked Saki about it today. He asked Jen Saki about it today. And her answer confirms the veracity of this story. Listen to this. Yep, go ahead, Peter. Thank you, Jen. Why is the administration flying thousands of migrants from the border to Florida and New York in the middle of the night? 
Uh, well, I'm not sure that it's in the middle of the night, but let me tell you what's happening here. Um, it is our a.m. 4:29 a.m. Well, he, very he, early in the morning. 2:29 a.m. <laughs> yeah. What did she What did she say? What was her response to that? 2:29, 4:29. What What did she say? It is our 4:29 a.m. Well, he, very he, early in the morning. Here we are talking dawn. about early flights, earlier than you might like to take a flight. Okay. Um, it is okay. Our, they're admitting that it's true. They just don't want it to be known as in the middle of the night. Okay, so Peter, who did his homework, corrected himself, 229, 429. I don't know. If someone wakes you with a phone call at 229, I know that's prime working time for the likes of people like Lewis Hallman. But for most of the world, someone would say, you're calling me in the middle of the night. <laughs> now, I don't want to get into a semantic argument with Jen Psaki. She, uh, she, uh, she, 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 has, she has a dictionary and... And in fact, the source of her own making. But that's how you they admit it. They admit this is going on. They admit this is going on. And there's there's really no reason for it, except for what everyone knows the truth is, that if it were done in the light of day, people would not put up with it. The story was broken in The New York Post. Now you understand just a little bit why. The mainstream media colluded along with Twitter and other social media companies to censor and take down the New York Post and were successful in doing so for a day leading up to the election when they broke a similarly important and pregnant story about Hunter Biden. Heck, a student at ASU who was the who ran the news department at their radio station, got fired for linking to the New York Post. There is a reason they want to shut us and you down. Because as much as we may say sunlight is the best disinfectant, borrowing from Brandeis, Louis Brandeis, as much as we want to say that, they don't want the sunlight. The sunlight is the disinfectant. And they don't want it. They want the darkness. They want the dark cover of night. Or... You know, not really the dark cover of night, but 2.29 in the morning. We'll be right back. Scott Johnson over at Powerline's having some fun with what took place at Yale Law School where they put a second-year law student at Yale, Trent Colbert, through the ringer. He, a member of the Federalist Society, for a totally innocuous tweet he sent out. Um, from the Federalist Society for an event, and the deans went after him, the president of Yale went after him. He was put through ringers and embarrassment and threatened to be reported, threatened to be reported to the bar committee in a, in a year and a half or so when he would theoretically graduate and take the bar so that he wouldn't be admitted for the crime of being a member of the Federalist Society at Yale. And the pushback, thank goodness, thank goodness he taped his conversations uh, with those administrators who hauled him in. Thank goodness. And the pushback at Yale was strong enough where they have now said he is protected, he was engaging in protected speech, and he will no longer face any sanction from Yale. Think about what would have happened if he hadn't done that work, the work journalists should do. Think of what would have happened if the public did not rally to his cause. Think about that. You see, to be a member of the conservative legal organization at Yale, is it the nation's rated num- number one rated law school? If it's not one, it's two. Uh, it's number two. 
to, to, to consider for a moment that the Federalist Society, which is our – we conservatives, you know, debating society more than anything else. If you go to a Federalist Society event, let me tell you what it is mostly. It's mostly a debate. It's mostly going to be a debate, sometimes between libertarians and non-libertarians on the right, sometimes between conservatives and liberals, almost almost inevitably. But it has a publication and it has a originalist understanding of the Constitution, and they are trying to rid us of it. The, you, will, you will search things having to do with the Federalist Society. You will see it is called an extremist organization. You will see that it is called a racist organization. You will see that it is called a hating organization. It is none of those things. It is none of those things. It's just yet another effort, another effort to remove us, to remove conservative thought and conservative viewpoint from the respectable territory of the give and take of debate. That's all it is. It's a socialist Marxist effort to silence the opposition to silence the opposition. But go to Powerline. Yeah, uh, Scott Johnson has some fun with some of this, including the production of a draft apology letter that Yale should give to this student, but that it won't. And by the way, I think that letter could be used as well by Merrick Garland and the rest of the country. The aforementioned Lewis Holman in the House will talk politics, we'll talk policy, we'll talk culture, we'll talk COVID, we'll talk simple things and abstruse, and we'll have a lot of fun doing so. 602 if you want to join us. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 